I'm going to see if I can preach up a storm tonight. We'll see. <laughs> We're going to be looking in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 at a message I call Gentle and True. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 7. But we were gentle among you. Just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil, for laboring night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you, we preach to you the gospel of God. You were witnesses, and God also. How devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children. That you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. May God bless the reading of his word tonight. It's my prayer. You may be seated. Our text gives us two great concepts tonight for our consideration. It gives us an accurate view of what God designed the pastoral ministry to be, demonstrated, of course, by that great church planter and pastor, the Apostle Paul. Uh, he didn't have long with the people at Thessalonica. We know that he went there, he reasoned in the synagogues for three Sabbath days. And so maybe a month, maybe a little bit more. And uh, the people stirred up uh, a lot of difficulty for them. He had to leave under duress. And yet uh, he was there long enough for him to become very dear to these people. And for these people to become very, very dear to them. And so we see that all over this passage tonight as he talks about how much he loved them, how much they loved him, uh, how uh, compassionate he was with them. And uh, so we get a very, very good view tonight of what pastoral ministry is supposed to be. Uh, but interwoven in this is a standard for all of you to apply. I mean, I realize, I state the obvious, very few of you are God-called pastors. Some of you are, but a very few of you are. Uh, but all of you have someone that you would like to influence with the truth of God in some way. And chances are the people you want to influence the most with the truth of God are the people that you are closest to, people that you love the most, people that you are greatly concerned about, very close to. And within those kind of close relationships, uh, uh, you know, there's, um, there's a lot of knowledge that passes back and forth. We know each other pretty well. I was fond of saying was that, uh, you know, we talk about how that the church is local and visible. And that is true. It's a, kind of an expression that we coined. Of course, it's visible. But do we like to say that? Uh, the church is local and visible. And within the church body, things are very, very visible. There's really, we know each other pretty well. Uh, and I know you might say, well, there's so many people here I don't know. That's a good thing. But that's a challenging thing to you too. 
Uh, you need to get to know one another. Spend some time. Put in the effort. Work harder at it. We all need, always need that. But within our close interpersonal relationships, our family, our closest friends, the people that we would most like to influence with the truth of God, we know each other very well. And we see all of us uh, very carefully. And we see us at our best. We see us at our worst. Now, Paul pulled back the curtain, as it were, in this passage tonight because he tells them, you are witnesses. And God is too. Uh, we're talking about a clear conscience that Paul had in the way he had conducted himself with the people at Thessalonica. You saw it, and God saw it too. It was nothing that he had to hide. He had put it out there before them. And we could say the same thing, all of you can, with the people that you would like to witness to, the people that you would like to influence most with the truth of God they are witnesses. They're witnesses of you. And God is too. Now, within that concept then of, of what pastoral ministry is supposed to be and what it's supposed to look like, I thought this week of a Supreme Court uh, decision, and I had to, go looking it up, had to go look it up, of course. I didn't know it off the top of my head. Uh, this one happened in 1964. It's very famous. Uh, it was an obscenity case. And Justice Potter Stewart wrote in his opinion what became one of the most famous lines in all of the Supreme Court uh, justices' writings of all time. Uh, because he spoke of how that he found it difficult to define obscenity, but he said this, I know it when I see it. I know it when I see it. Now, of course, his decision was uh, uh, very much contradicted. It was controversial at the time. It still is even today uh, because, uh, of course, what uh, the obvious fallacy is is uh, what one person sees as being wrong, someone else might not see the same way. And we might apply that standard, though, to pastoral ministry. Well, I know a good pastor when I see one. I know what a good pastoral ministry looks like. But again... That is subject to our own views, our own interpretations, our own past history. And so, as in all things relating to the church, we need to take a good look at what the Bible says. And we have that before us tonight, a biblical standard that unfolds to show us uh, what is good pastoral ministry, what it wouldn't be, uh, what is right about it, what would be wrong and whether it's conforming to Scripture or not. And this also can come back to us, all of us, in our efforts to minister to others, our kids, our, our grandkids, our grandparents. I know I've talked about that a lot lately. I've had it on my mind a lot and on my heart a lot. Uh, students at school, teachers to students, neighbors, the possibilities are endless and always challenging to us. I've called this message then gentle and true. Gentle and true. Truth is not known for being gentle. And what is gentle is often not known for being true. 
I read an article some time ago that discussed why it was that Christians who believe so vehemently that lying is wrong and yet Christians lie and when asked why they most frequently lied, they came to a simple conclusion. Uh, Christians mostly lie to avoid hurting people's feelings. We don't like to tell them the truth because it's going to hurt them. Which gives rise to that saying that we know so well, truth hurts. Truth hurts. And Jack Nicholson's famous, famous line from some military movie that I don't even know what it was. You can't handle the truth. Yeah, only, he said it a lot more harshly. I know it only from the meme that goes around. Now, the fact that truth hurts is easy for some of us to get past when it comes to God's truth. It's difficult, more difficult for others. But still, there's a balance in there somewhere that we need to seek. A gospel gentleness, if you will. Gentle and true. I know this idea would be rejected by some, and I must admit I'm one of those people a lot of the times that really don't worry too much about it. I, I believe in preaching the truth and kind of letting it fall where it falls. I've always lived by that mantra. I love what the great evangelist Billy Sunday of a bygone era was fond of saying. He said, people say I rub the cat the wrong way. I don't. Let the cat turn around. I've always liked that. <laughs> and I still say there's a place for that. But I also know that angry, offended people usually aren't very open to the truth of the gospel. And so there's never a place really for us to be belligerent, although some preachers are, to be argumentative or cruel, though some preachers are. Even sarcasm has to be employed with great care these days, and I do have a sarcastic bone in me. I, I, I do like it, but I have to be careful with it. We seek a balance, a balance that is difficult to hit, much less maintain long-term. In the midst of it, though, we see some principles for us to follow as Paul gives us this great example. I was gentle among you. As a mother cherishes her nursing child, I, I was gentle. I, I gave you the gospel truth. In a very gentle way. We're going to talk about this tonight. As we see then a model then within it all. For biblical ministry for us to follow. As we're trying to influence others. With the truth of the gospel. And the first thing that I want us to talk about tonight. Is the need to check our hearts. To check our hearts. Your witnesses and God also how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you. As a father does his own children. That you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Your witnesses. God is too. Pure conscience here. Exhorted means teaching. Comforted means to encourage, charge, is to motivate, to push him along. And what was it that he wanted to see happen in the church at Thessalonica? What was it that he wanted? What was his motive? That you would walk worthy of God. That was his motive. 
that you would walk worthy of God. God had called them. Uh, they were children of the kingdom. They were kingdom kids, if you wanted to. And Paul could bring up then his goal as, as a father, being like a father to them in a spiritual way so that they would walk worthy. They would walk worthy as a member of his kingdom, of Jesus Christ's kingdom, and that they would walk worthy then and give him, that is Jesus Christ, glory. And that speaks great things about his motive. And what our motive must be is we set out to try to influence someone. Uh, if we're not careful, we may get a desire to manipulate people. That can happen from a pastor. It can happen from any one of you and, and just trying to manipulate somebody. And maybe even exploit them for our own benefits. We must guard against any desire to build a kingdom for ourselves or under ourselves or to labor for our own glory. There's a lot of those in the ministry today. And none of us are immune from letting our motives get out of whack. And so we need to check our motives. And I need to, you all need to tonight. Is our goal in all of our ministry to see people walking worthily of the calling of God? Do we want to see people then learn the scriptures and live the scriptures to listen to the spirit as he moves us in the scriptures to submit to God, to submit to Christ? Is that our goal? So that it's not about establishing our own personal empire or building our own brand or anything else. It's not about being worried about what the neighbors will think about or what other people in my family are going to think. But Am I influencing people with the gospel so that they may grow into him? Like Jesus said, I'm the vine and you are the branches. And if any man abide in me, you'll bear much fruit. Is that what we want to see in the people that we're trying to influence for Christ? It's important to maintain that perspective. John the Baptist described himself as the friend of the bridegroom. That's kind of like our best man. And he brought that up because people were telling John, Hey, John, I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but you know Jesus is reaching more people now than you are. His disciples are baptizing more people than your disciples are. And John the Baptist, uh, you know, he could have gotten all upset about it, but he didn't. He said everything's running right on schedule. He said he must increase, I must decrease, and he gave him the example. He said, I'm, I'm, I'm not the bridegroom. I'm the friend of the bridegroom. I'm like the best man. Uh, the, the, the bride doesn't belong to me. It belongs to him. She belongs to him. He's the one that should be emphasized. Because the best man will, will never be the bridegroom. And the bride belongs to the bridegroom. John the Baptist, you see, understood his position very well. And as we try to influence others and as I try to influence others with the gospel, as I, as I preach to you, it must always be my goal to see you grow closer to Jesus Christ. And if all of us as a church body then are growing closer to Jesus Christ, a remarkable thing will happen. We'll go closer to each other too. That's just the way it works. So we're never exploitive of people, never seeking our own glory, always realizing that our goal is to see people grow in their faith. We never have to apologize for having that goal. I'm going to say that again. 
we never have to apologize about having that goal. Because if people grow in their faith, if they grow in their understanding of the Scriptures, if they get closer and closer to Jesus Christ, you know what? It's going to make them better people. It's not going to make them worse people. (laughs) We don't have to be worried about it. Oh, I might get somebody too close to Christ. No, no, no. Oh, they might get too holy. They might be too godly. They might love Jesus too much. Oh, it's really going to mess them up. No, it's not going to mess them up. Sin messes them up. Amen. We don't have to worry about this. We don't have to apologize for it because as people grow in their faith, they become better people, better spouses, better parents, better kids, better citizens. So we can carry on this with, without ever flinching, without ever being afraid, fully confident. Then this is a pure motive. I want to see people walking worthily of the gospel and giving glory to God knowing that it's never going to harm anybody and it'll profit them for all eternity. So regardless of which side we are on in this, whether you're on a pastoral side like me and some of the others here tonight or or whether you're on the side of just simply being a a Christian, uh, that you have that responsibility of influencing others with the truth of the gospel, we need to always check on our motives it's not about us. Uh, it's, it's about Jesus Christ and seeing people grow in their faith and grow closer to him. And you know what? It doesn't matter whether they're 18 months or 18 years old or 80. We can dedicate ourselves to seeing these people grow in their understanding of Scripture And then grow closer to Jesus Christ. Yes, we can. So we check our motives. What are we doing it for? And then check our content. He said in verse 8, Affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. He loved these people enough to give them the gospel, and while doing that, to give his life. If necessary. Now we tend to share, talk about a sharing life and building relationship and all these things in modern society. Uh, but Paul just said, "Listen, this is all about giving you the gospel and giving you my life if necessary." We don't face perhaps the peril of persecution that Paul did, uh, but building up the faith of other people to share the gospel with them. Listen to me tonight. Building up the faith of other people will require an investment of our lives. Paul went on to say he worked night and day in order to preach to them the gospel. It requires then an investment of our time. Jesus rebuked the Pharisees for compassing heaven and earth and make a proselyte. He was a convert to their brand of Judaism and basically thereby making a convert unto themselves. And they were notorious for bringing in those people under their control. In fact, so much so that he rebuked them for putting a burden upon their followers that neither they nor their fathers were able to bear. You couldn't even move it yourself, and yet you're burdening down these people. It was all about manipulation and control with them. By contrast, Paul says, I love you enough to preach the gospel to you. 
If you ever wonder where any God-called preacher, whether a God-called preacher, myself or anybody else, loves you enough, you ask yourself the question, does he get up there and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to me? Yeah, does he study and pray and work night and day then to make sure that we are getting the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Yeah, that, that's, how, that's how we show our love. And in the so doing then, Paul brings up that concept of a herald preaching. He's a messenger. He delivers in the message that he's given. He doesn't come up with a different message. He gives it to himself. Uh, first, he gets that message from the Lord and then gives it to others. And that message is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then lastly, he calls us to examine our conduct. So our, our motives, he examine our heart. And then our, our message. Somebody's got an alarm going off. I guess I'm preaching up a storm. At this point in time, let me just interrupt our sermon to say that we've got a security team out front that's monitoring the situation very carefully. If we all need to take cover, they'll come in here and tell us. Until that happens, I'm going to pre- keep preaching. Okay? Uh, so last thing is our conduct. Our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. But as we've been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak. Not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak for covetousness, God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. Several quick things. First of all, their error. Their error. He said, we, we weren't like that. It did not come from error. We're not one of those that's roaming around and off the path. It's amazing how much preaching these days is just roaming around everywhere. Uncleanness refers to an impure motive. Our deceit speaks of I wasn't stealthy or crafty or using trickery. Our message to you did not come from a goal to please men. Oh, that's the most dangerous one of all. Many a preacher has pleased God while displeasing men, and many a preacher has pleased men and displeased God. It's a blessing when both are pleased. God knows when our goal is to please Him, and that's what it always must be. Flattering words appeal to the flesh. He said, I didn't use that. I didn't use the gospel as a cloak for covetousness. What a powerful message that is. I didn't have a covetous heart, a hidden motive, just trying to take advantage of people or get money from people and and hide that behind the gospel. Oh, I wasn't doing that. I wasn't seeking glory from men. It's possible for us to get entirely too full of ourselves. And the desire for glory quickly turns into a demand for glory. And chances are, you've probably seen some preachers who conduct themselves that way. So if there was a negative side, and there was, there's also a positive behavior to promote. We were gentle among you, just like a nursing mother covers her children. All right, brother. 
Okay? What do you think we need to do, Brother Dwayne? All right, I'm almost done. In fact, uh, with all of that, I will just say, y- y'all are pretty well done. And uh, <laughs> we're done. Buildup can be lost in one foolish moment. Let's not do that. Let's guard our conduct so that we then can dedicate ourselves to pushing others to become more like Jesus Christ. Let's all stand together. We're going to have dismissal prayer. And then we'll all go into the hidey hole out here. And Okay? Heavenly Father, God, thank you for the privilege we have together here tonight and study your word. And we do pray that you'd watch over us in this time of storm. God, you know what's going on. Uh, the wind and the waves, they obey your will. And so, God, we just pray that you'd watch over us and watch over our community in this struggle. But God, also keep this message before us tonight. That our goal is to see people become closer to you and live closer to you. And that's a great goal and a great objective. And it's worthy of us gently proclaiming the gospel and leaving it before them. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.